Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by their good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got some terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He's a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. He's the director of health care studies at the Cato Institute as well. Dr. Bob McClure will be joining us. He is the president and CEO of the James Madison Institute, a think tank here in Florida. And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, also the president and founder of Executive Management Services, doing business in over 40 states with over 6,000 employees. He has some interesting things to say about unions. It is June the 11th, and on this day in 1776, the Continental Congress selected Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, John Adams of Massachusetts, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, Roger Sherman of Connecticut, and Robert R. Livingston of New York to draft a Declaration of Independence. Knowing Jefferson's prowess with a pen, Adams urged him to author the first draft of the document, which was then carefully revised by Adams and Franklin before being given to Congress for review on June the 28th. And of course, these, these words of prose just ring so true. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among other powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that we should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And in these words, these few words that mean so much, actually the basis for our liberty, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It all started with that, and of course the Declaration of Independence. What a great choice for the uh, those to be to author the Declaration of Independence. Well, consumer prices for May accelerated at their fastest pace in nearly 13 years as inflation pressures continued to build in the U.S. economy. And according to the Labor Department, the Consumer Price Index, which represents a basket of including food, energy, groceries, housing costs, and sales across the spectrum of goods, rose 5% from a year earlier. Economists surveyed by the Dow Jones had been expecting a gain of 4.7%. Now, something that's kind of tricky about this basket of uh, goods is it changes from time to time. And uh, so, therefore, it's a little bit of a head fake in terms of what the real numbers are, but irrespective. The reading represented the biggest CPI gain since 5.3% increase in August of 2008, just before the financial crisis set the U.S. spiraling into the worst recession since the Great Depression. Though the inflation readings are well above anything seen since 2008 and 9 and the financial crisis, the Federal Reserve has been largely dismissive of the numbers. Central bank officials believe the current rise is due to the temporary factors that will abate as the year goes on and look higher because of comparisons to uh, a year-ago period when much of the economy uh, remained restricted due to the pandemic. Consequently, market uh, participants generally do not expect to see the Fed react to the latest numbers when the Policy Fed uh, Open Market Committee meets next week. So 5%, that's a big number. Big number. Well, yesterday, Governor uh, DeSantis joined the State Board of Education meeting to discuss the importance of maintaining the integrity of Florida's academic standards by keeping critical race theory out of the classroom. The woke class wants to teach kids to hate each other rather than teaching them how to read, but we will not let them bring nonsense ideology into Florida schools, said Governor DeSantis. As the governor of Florida, I love this state and I love my country. I find it unthinkable that there are other people in positions of leadership in the federal government who believe we should teach kids to hate our country. We will not stand for it here in Florida. I'm proud that we are taking action today to ensure our state continues to have the greatest educational system in the nation. During his remarks, Governor Sanders cited several recent examples of critical race theory nationally 
And in Florida, <clears throat> for example, national examples of critical race theory include a Philadelphia elementary school forced fifth graders to celebrate black communism and simulated a black power rally to free Angela Davis from prison. 87% of the students will fail to achieve academic literacy in the school, by the way. Seattle Public Schools uh, told teachers that the education system is guilty of spirit murder against black children and that white teachers must bankrupt their privilege in order to acknowledge it of their thieved inheritance. San Diego Public Schools accused white teachers of being colonizers of stolen or Native American land and told them, you are racist, you are upholding racist ideas. And this just goes on. I mean, this is just completely sick. Is this what we're teaching our kids? I don't think so. Uh, examples to uh, being taught here in Florida, Palm Beach County School Board approved a new equity definition and equity statement on May the 5th, which reads in part, the school district of Palm Beach County is committed to dismantling structures rooted in white privilege. In Sarasota County Public Schools, they showed a Black Lives Matter video that says in part, there is a built-in system of bias that makes life easier for white people. In Jacksonville, the school planned to hold two school uh, cultural meetings in which students would be separated based on race. Yeah, I'm not kidding. This is really happening. Uh, critical race theory needs to go, and uh, I really salute Governor DeSantis for his stand on this. Well, our own Representative Byron Donalds, one of the only two black Republicans in the House, says that he's been snubbed by the Congressional Black Caucus. His communications director, Harrison Fields, told uh, Fox News that the Florida Republican is engaged with multiple members of the CBC an influential and officially nonpartisan group to tell them he's interested in joining but still hasn't gotten an invite. Other freshman lawmakers were inducted into the group six months ago. Since starting in Congress, our office and the Congress congressman have engaged with several CBC members, expressing his interest in joining, but all we've got is the cold shoulder, Field said. The sad reality is although the congressman and those in the CBC share the same race, and the R behind his name disqualifies him from a membership today, he said. A source familiar with the CBC's plans confirmed Donald's suspicions that he's been shut out of the group, according to BuzzFeed, which first reported the news. Uh, the group does not have any Republican members. Burgess Owens, a Republican from Utah, has no interest in joining. Uh, Representative Robin Kelly, an Illinois Democrat and member of the uh, CBC, told the Journal that she didn't understand the candidate's support for former President Donald Trump, but that they would be welcomed into the group. That was before January 6 Capitol riots. Uh, Senator Tim Scott, the only black Republican in the Senate and a rising star in his party, declined an invitation to join the organization when he was appointed to the House in 2010. Former Representative Mia Love, Utah, was the group's last GOP member when, who three years before she joined in 2015 and said the members of the group just sit there to ignite racism. <laughs> so, but, you know, I, I, I understand where uh, Byron Donalds is coming from. He wants, to, he wants to extend the conversation. He wants to have dialogue, which can only enhance uh, the sharing of ideas and opening up doors for, uh, uh, for others. And it's a, it's a good idea. I really respect what he's doing. And by the way, you see him on TV all the time. Uh, nine state delegations will receive an a scene on the scene tour of the historic Arizona audit on Friday. Nine more states. Can you believe that? The freight train of audits is in full steam across the country. Uh, the first ever first forensic audit of Maricopa County's 2020 election is almost finished with the hand-counting process of the audit. There only is one untouched pallet of, uh, of uh, ballot boxes remaining. More paper evaluation tables have been completely set up, and they plan to increase the speed of the process. The hand recount is finished shortly, but the paper evaluation will take a few weeks longer. The process should be completed by the end of June. Shortly after, they will provide a nation a report on their findings. Uh, Christina Bob reported on uh, One America News that she expects to see the count is not even close to what it was certified due to the fact that some pallets are missing up to 20% of the ballots that should be there. So interesting. I really look forward to getting the results. And again, this is a forensic audit. This is, there's no hanky-panky or funny business going on with this audit. It is a real audit. And, by the way, st other states are saying they're very impressed uh, with the process. Nine more states are visiting uh, Arizona today. 
Well, Texas has more than 170 Houston Methodist Hospital employees that have been suspended for two weeks without pay for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. 117 employees filled a law, filed a lawsuit against the Houston area hospital over its COVID-19 vaccine mandate. The law argues lawsuit argues that the vaccine mandate violates the Nuremberg Code and U.S. statutes that allow Americans to refuse unapproved treatments according to the law and crime. So the employees are suing uh, the Methodist Hospital, the Methodist Hospital System, and the Methodist Woodlands Hospital. David Bernard, the CEO of uh, the hospital, told employees that they can find a job elsewhere if they refuse the experimental COVID vaccine. 100% vaccination is more important than your individual freedom, he said. I, he really said that. You can believe that. Everyone of you is replaceable. If you like what you're doing here, you can leave and we'll replace you your spot. What a guy. What a leader. Huh. That's leadership? I don't think so. Uh, but he misses the point. HIPAA forbids the sharing of this information, and he has no business. I think it's unethical and illegal to require his employees to get vaccinated, as I do these cruise ships, uh, like celebrity cruise lines as well. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Uh, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Bob McClure. He's the president and CEO of the James Madison Institute. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., uh, dedicated to the ideals of advancing a free society at every level of government. 
Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So for this last, well, it's got to be at least a month now, we've been talking about the continuing saga of the infrastructure program. Uh, maybe you could update us on what's happening. You bet. The, uh, the crucial context is that there's already $700 billion worth of infrastructure, traditional infrastructure spending in the works. Um, part of this is from various COVID or pandemic stimulus that have been passed. And most of it is from the highway reauthorization, which Congress does every five years and which is coming up. So the $700 billion sort of already in the works. Mm. That's the context. Um, where we left off last week was um, differing proposals between uh, Senator Capito and President Biden. And uh, the senator was at about $300 billion worth of new spending, and the president was at about $1 trillion worth of new spending. Those talks, which we spoke about on multiple Fridays, completely broke down this week. Um, now, about two minutes later, I mean, literally within the hour, talks resumed. There were reports of talks between this bipartisan group of senators, uh, about 10, um, with the usual suspects, Collins, Manchin, Romney, um, those folks, that they were engaged in serious negotiations. Um, and uh, a couple days later, they announced that they had reached a deal on a package that included $580 billion worth of new funding, and it's paid for primarily uh, by what they, they didn't, it's not quote-unquote raising the gas tax, but rather indexing it to inflation, hmm. um, which would have the effect, of course, of raising the gas tax. Um, so uh, that's the latest proposal. At this point, however, they don't have necessarily any buy-in from the White House, um, and they don't have any buy-in from congressional leadership or the rank and file. So the situation is very much in flux. Mm. Um, ultimately, uh, it, it does appear to be that the best odds are that this kind of falls apart um, in whole and that Democrats, congressional Democrats, that their plan had been to sort of get as much as they can with these bipartisan negotiations and then pass every other spending priority they have. I mean, up to $4 trillion using that reconciliation process that we spoke of before. Um, so if, if all this falls apart, um, then we can expect congressional Democrats to try to get everything out of the sun into a huge $4 trillion bill that they would then ram down the Republicans' throat in Congress. Hmm. So, uh, in other words, you wouldn't need the uh, filibuster, you wouldn't need the 60% then to pass the, uh, uh, pass the bill. Indeed, as we've spoken on prior Fridays, reconciliation is, in essence, this uh, parliamentary procedure that allows the, the majority in the Senate to avoid a filibuster. Um, I should add, by no means was I condoning this. Was, I support bipartisanship, yeah. um, to be sure. Um, but uh, I think Senator Ron Johnson really hits the nail on the head, when, when, and he's been advocating this line for a while which is there's $700 billion worth of infrastructure spending in the works already. Mm -hmm. yep. That's a great deal of money. Um, why on earth are we not content with that, especially given the levels of government spending um, that we've seen and continue to see? It just puzzles me that, you know, in business you learn a penny saved is a penny earned, and, uh, you know, if, if you don't take care of capital and it flows someplace else, you, uh, all these th thoughts just cross my mind, and they seem, you know, so it's only money kind of an attitude, and uh, why Biden insists on new money as opposed to the money that's already there that hasn't been spent, it makes no sense to me. I, I concur wholly. I mean, it, it simply, it, it doesn't make any sense to me why they can't all celebrate a $700 billion infrastructure package. Right. I mean, they're looking for big numbers. That's a very big number. Um, so, yes, indeed, I, I share your confusion. So in the, uh, uh, this group of 20, that, uh, do they, are they including some of the Green New Deal ideas that uh, Biden seems to want so much? Well, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. So pretty much the only difference between the plan that we've spoken about in the prior weeks that uh, Senator Capito had been negotiating with Biden, um, the only difference between her plan and this G20 plan, this group of 20 plan, is about $250 billion worth of that green stimulus mumbo-jumbo. So <laughs> it's not necessarily an improvement um, upon her work, in my opinion. So then uh, Manchin's position in, in on H.R. 1, 
uh, is not going to hold up when it comes to the uh, infrastructure bill. Well, I'll, I'll say this. So he's invested in this G20 group, in this group of 20, uh, the package that they've set forth. Um, if it fails, it's not a sure thing that he's going to go along with congressional leadership for that $4 trillion package. So you were referencing this blockbuster op-ed he wrote this week when he, mm-hmm. in essence, rejected um, H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which would basically federalize state elections. Um, in addition to commenting on that bill, he also announced his support for the filibuster, but he also announced his support for what's known as regular order. Um, which is just a colloquial term here inside the Beltway for how laws used to be made, mm-hmm. um, you know, with uh, uh, through committees and deliberation and whatnot. So uh, it's it's unclear if he would jump on board this reconciliation process that really undermines, that really flies in the face of this regular order that he seems to prize. Hmm. So interesting. Now, I, I in, in your notes that you sent me, you said there's a $260 billion industrial policy bill uh, the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. <laughs> uh, I hadn't even heard about this. Maybe you can tell us about it. It's a sign of the times. Um, so this is bipartisan, passes out of the Senate with a huge bipartisan majority. And so in addition to all the stimulus that's gone out the door, $5.5 trillion worth, and, and the additional um, spending that, that uh, has been, that is currently being discussed, that we just uh, you know, covered um, for up to $4 trillion worth, um, this bipartisan measure of industrial policy that is $260 billion worth of picking um, winners and losers in the semiconductor and chip manufacturing industry. And, and just what sort of blows my mind here is that industrial policy used to be a pejorative amongst conservatives, and mm-hmm. rightly so, because it doesn't work. The government can't pick winners and losers. It's, it's um, That's just... It, it, but for the, you were speaking earlier about business sense and how your business sense was offended by all this spending. Well, the right. government has no business sense. Um, so, you know, of course it can't uh, choose market winners. All it can do is throw money at the problem, waste money. Um, so it, it was, uh, this to me was remarkable, and uh, it was unbeknownst to me, the yeah. extent to which our modern Republican Party buys into this stuff. Um, now, that's, that's the, anathema. yeah, that's the Senate. The House, has the House passed it? Well, that's an excellent point. Um, so its prospects in the House at this point are uncertain, and, and um, I, I actually don't know as to whether or not House Majority Leader um, McCarthy has come out one way or another. Mm. But, uh, you know, the extent to which it enjoyed bipartisan support in the Senate from even robustly conservative senators, um, to me, augurs poorly for what's going to happen in the House. And again, for what has happened to the Republican Party's ideology, I mean, that now it openly embraces, or at least in the Senate, yeah. um, this, this sort of industrial policy, which, again, was anathema to the Reagan revolution. I mean, that, that's picking and choosing winners is not what government is supposed to do under the GOP playbook. Uh, of old, absolutely. William Yateman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. William, always appreciate your insightful commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. Michael Cannon is the uh, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. 
Blue Provence French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you Bart by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. You can visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dr. Bob McClure. He's the president and CEO of the James Madison Institute. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So, uh, Biogen's stock just shot up the other day, a big approval of, for an Alzheimer's drug, but there seems to be uh, some problems in the in the back room. Maybe you can tell us about it. You're not kidding. It shot up maybe 38% Biogen stock because the FDA approved its drug Atahelm or Atacanumab uh, over the objections of the FDA's own panel of experts. Mm. Uh, and uh, this is a drug that targets not Alzheimer's uh, uh, symptoms itself, but targets the plaque, the beta amyloid plaque that builds up in the brains of patients with Alzheimer's. On the theory that if you target and reduce the amount of this plaque in the brain, maybe that will provide symptomatic relief. A lot of these advisors on the FDA scientific panel, uh, uh, advisory panel said no. Most of them said no, you should not be approving this drug. Uh, the, the data are not that good. But the FDA approved it anyway under a lot of pressure from uh, activists uh, and uh, patients with Alzheimer's disease. And I think that uh, if, if you take seriously the concept of healthcare rights, then uh, this whole debate is just fascinating and wrongheaded. Uh, rather than debate over, rather than have these debates over whether the government should be approving drugs, uh, controversial drugs like this, there should be no government agency blocking patients from taking this drug, and uh, the FDA, the FDA sh either should not exist or it should only be playing an advisory role by providing patients information about whether this drug works. Mm -hmm. So while I'm, I'm, uh, and that's because if the FDA is blocking the drug from the market, the FDA is making the decision for you about whether this drug works. And even if you uh, think that the a risk-benefit profile is tolerable. The FDA is substituting its value judgment for yours by saying no. So I, I'm very skeptical about this drug. I'm glad that it's on the market. Mm. But did I want the FDA to approve it? No, I wanted the FDA not to play any role in deciding whether or not patients would be able to choose this drug. And uh, and actually, this 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 episode illustrates illustrates why that is because because this is not a scientific decision the FDA is making it's a value judgment and the FDA should not be substituting its value judgments for those of the patients 
uh, whose lives are on the line. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. In my my view, what was required is full disclosure. And if, if uh, patients can study and understand what, what's the involved, they should be able to make the decision. Although, <clears throat> uh, this goes back to the thalidomide thing back in the uh, 50s or 60s, whenever it was that, uh, you know, uh, the FDA approved a, a medicine that ended up leaving babies uh, deformed. And I'm sure that's part of the concern is that I wonder what these, these uh, advisory committee members that are quitting, uh, the Biogen board, I wonder, or the FDA board, I guess it is, I wonder what their concerns are. Well, they believe very much in the idea. There are a couple of things going on with the FDA's uh, advisory committee. Uh, three members have resigned. Uh, the reasons include the fact that some of the beliefs that the government should substitute its views for or its values for those of patients and block access to drugs like this one uh, until the government's experts are satisfied mm -hmm. that uh, the risk-benefit profile is acceptable. Uh, but they also uh, resign quite reasonably because some of the because the FDA impanels these committees to provide the FDA with advice, the committee said, no, you shouldn't approve the drug. And the FDA said, ah, we're going to do it anyway. Do it anyhow. <laughs> and it, you might, they might feel a little useless and be wondering, why am I even here if you're going to ignore my advice? Yeah. And so there's, the, I think there's a reasonable element and an unreasonable element in their, the re their rationale for their resignation. Well, hopefully this will all be a tempest in the teapot because it's it has been approved and moving forward. On the other hand, I, I will say there's a parallel to uh, hydroxychloroquine that wasn't approved uh, by the FDA and has turned out to be a, with a kind of a cocktail of other types of things. Turns out to be uh, quite effective in, in dealing with the early stages of the uh, virus. So uh, to me, it all seems so political. Yeah, you know, hydroxychloroquine, the FDA didn't, uh, it was almost immaterial whether the FDA approved it or not because it was already uh, available on the market. And once it's on the market, doctors can prescribe it for whatever they want. Yeah. The FDA can't stop a doctor from prescribing a drug for uh, an indication or use that is not on the FDA-approved label for that drug. We call those off-label uses. Yeah. But, and, uh, and that's one of the uh, reasons why uh, I thought the hydroxychloroquine uh, debate uh, and the FDA's role in use at this point is a tempest in a teapot because the... It was already available for doctors and patients to make this decision for themselves. Yeah. So I, and, I, I will say... And uh, now this Alzheimer's drug is as well. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Michael, I, I am aware that uh, some doctors that have used uh, hydroxychloroquine and prescribed it have lost their jobs, have lost their positions, have been fined, and so forth. So apparently uh, <laughs> there's some resistance to it. But nevertheless, I th this has been a great discussion, and I really appreciate your commentary giving us insight on how to look at the, the FDA and other types of organizations. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Anytime, Bob. Take care. You too. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Bob McClure. He's the president and CEO of the James Madison Institute of Traffic Organization. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. 
That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you, too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Dr. Bob McClure. He's the president and the CEO of a terrific organization, the James Madison Institute. Uh, Dr. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Robert. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks so much for being available. So, uh, uh, Dr. McClure, um, we just wrapped up this legislative session. By the way, uh, Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, said that most of the people that are moving here, and they're moving here in droves from states like uh, New Jersey and New York, he says that most of them are registered Republicans. I find that so interesting. Yeah, I find that very interesting as well. And that's uh, some information that he would be privy to. Um, You know, Bob, as I travel the state, uh, people are so grateful that they live here in Florida. You know, we kept our economy open. Um, The legislature uh, had a state budget that did not raise any taxes, despite, you know, once in in a generation pandemic. We kept our schools open. The governor continues to fight for intellectual diversity on college campuses and a whole host of other issues that we'll get into in just a minute. But um, that's the number one question I get is, are people going to move here and change Florida to a blue state? And really, we're, we're, we're much more red than we are even purple anymore. Um, and so that's, a, that's an interesting dynamic huh. to know about. Glad to hear it. Yeah, me too. So uh, I would be interested in your assessment of the uh, latest uh, legis- uh, legislation set- session of the budget. Uh, I-, I certainly see some highlights with regard to expansion of school choice and so forth, but what's important to you about this? Well, what's important to me is is more thematic. You know, policy, good policy uh, matters. It matters in the lives of individuals. And while a good, really, really good policy may not show up on the cable news networks every single night, um, good policy matters. And you see that happening in states like Florida, Texas, Utah, South Carolina, where people are moving. And so here at the state legislature, Florida has really established Um, good movement conservative leadership, both in the governor's mansion and also in the House and in the Senate. And so you saw that in a number of different places most recently uh, in our our state legislature. You saw it with the continued expansion of school choice. Florida has uh, the most forms of school choice in the entire country, of any state in the entire country, and has the most students participating in some form of school choice. In Florida, at the K-12 level, nearly, nearly 50% of all kids at the K-12 level participate in some form of school choice. Wow. And so that's incredibly important uh, here. Um, You saw uh, the establishment of uh, intellectual diversity on college campuses, meaning that conservatives uh, are uh, going, you know, should, that state state universities should make uh, conservatives feel welcome on on college campuses. You saw the reforming of regulations uh, at, at, the, at the local level for things like local licensing reform, and um, you saw it for uh, protection of businesses from COVID, fri- frivolous COVID litigation. 
uh, onerous local regulations on home-based businesses and things like that. You saw the improvement of civics education, Bob, um, where uh, the governor said not only will districts that choose to teach critical race theory not receive a single penny of state uh, taxpayer money, but that actually they need to teach civics. They need to teach founding principles and uh, different things like that. You saw the continued expansion of um, of, of uh, healthcare delivery systems, telemedicine, expansion uh, opportunities for pharmacists and physicians' assistants when you can't get to an actual doctor. And then the last thing you saw was uh, Florida's election system uh, making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Uh, they banned ballot harvesting, tightened up some of the other rules, even though Florida has been kind of a poster child for what's right in election reform. And then broadband, broadband deployment to rural counties, to urban areas that have had difficulty receiving broadband. They didn't set up a government uh, uh, initiative. They allowed private uh, companies like AT&T and Charter and Comcast to do a better job of reaching rural and urban areas with broadband deployment. So really, yeah. Florida has been a leader on so many different things. Yeah, so many things indeed. And I'm so pleased that uh, Governor DeSantis is providing this leadership and structure for us and, as you mentioned, direction in terms of policy. One, You're seeing some uh, Democrats say, well, wait a minute, they're taking – all the marbles, there's no home rule. We don't, we don't have an opportunity to make our own decisions here locally in our own communities and our towns and counties. Uh, and, and yet what I see with home rule in some cases is uh, the uh, sanctuary cities and the uh, lack of uh, defund the police and those types of things. So I, I'm grateful for it. But on the other hand, if the shoe are on the other foot, I wonder about that. A any comments? Yeah, I think there needs to be a balance. I mean, Florida is an incredibly diverse state. The largest county in the state of Florida is Miami-Dade, uh, has nearly 2.7 million people, 2.8 million people in it. The smallest county in Florida is up in the Panhandle, Liberty County. It has 11,000 people in the entire county. Wow. And so we have... 60-plus counties between 2.8 million and 11,000 people. That's incredibly diverse. And so what what the state has to balance is the opportunity for uh, people at the local level to make decisions for themselves, which I understand. But when you get into state-level issues like sanctuary cities, defunding the police, um, various school boards uh, choosing to teach critical race theory, you do have to have some sort of state-level not mandate, but state-level authority to, right. to um, streamline much of what's taking place because we are so diverse. But I understand the importance of local control as well. So there needs to be a balance. I agree. Uh, one interesting uh, question is that uh, the governor said that there will be no vaccine passports. So that there's no, you're not allowed, if you ask a, a passenger on a cruise ship, for example, if uh, you have been vaccinated, that's a $5,000 fine. Per passenger, so he, he means business. But I and, and quite frankly, I think he's got the law on his side. But what are your thoughts? I mean, to me, uh, the CDC is providing guidance. Uh, the governor and the legislature is making law. It seems to me that uh, law trumps guidance. Yeah, it absolutely does. And if you look at the science, and that's the term everybody seems to use, unfortunately, like everything else. Uh, Science has been politicized by the left. Right. Um, the 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 CDC guidelines continue to change. You think you know two weeks to slow the spread. Uh, masks don't work. Oh wait, they do work. And now we need two masks. And now we need them outside, but we don't need them, you know, when you're six feet apart. And right. so what the governor what what we have is we have a number of things happening. The uh, establishment of the vaccine has allowed us to inoculate a critical mass of people such that uh, we're establishing a high level of herd immunity. Uh, but the reality is some people, for whatever reason, uh, choose not to take the vaccine. Uh, they, they're responsible adults. They make their own decisions. Some people choose to smoke. Some people choose not to smoke, uh, wear their seatbelts or not wear their seatbelts. And what the governor is saying is, look, this is not uh, a situation where the government is going to ask you for your papers when when you, a responsible adult, make your own personal decisions. Instead, they're going to say the responsibility is on you as an individual and you for your family. Um, 
And so I think that's what we've gotten away from. We've gotten away from being a society that values personal responsibility yeah. uh, with a safety net. I believe in a safety net, but not a government that is there to tell us how to live uh, and to bail us out of every single uh, you know poor decision that we may or may not make. And I think that's what the message the governor is sending is that the value and the importance is on personal responsibility and the consequences that come with that. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Bob McClure. It's a, it makes so much sense. And, the, you know, ba- basically his thinking is grounded in the Constitution. He respects our abilities to make our own, res- own decisions. Unlike many governors, the governor of New Jersey and other places around the country that uh, basically are saying we're going to be making the decision. Have you read about this uh, Houston Medical uh, uh center basically the, the ceo said look uh, you have to show you got vaccinated and if you don't you will will sign find somebody else to fill your job uh, to me that's that's borderline that's not constitutional yeah i would agree with you and i think you're seeing a number of states like following <laughs> governor DeSantis' lead on this issue you certainly saw it with governor abbott in texas and you're seeing it in other states that is um, you know, a, a violation of the Constitution. I mean, we, we, you know, one of the one of the things that um, is really, really important is that Governor DeSantis has really been kind of a model governor on a whole host of different issues yeah. around the country. Uh, what what I think oftentimes is lost on Floridians is how the other forty nine states watch Florida and decisions that are made here, like things on the vaccine. Uh, passport or critical race theory or, you know, school choice. Uh, when the governor of Florida makes these decisions, the other 49 states look at those decisions and say, okay, if he can do it, we can do it. And so really Florida is a model for the entire country. And, and it's, it's, it's really nice to be in a position that you have a governor who is courageous uh, who protects the Constitution, who understands the importance of the First Amendment, certainly uh, intellectual diversity on college campuses. Uh, and what happens is it has a tremendous influence, in many ways more so than Washington, D.C., yeah. uh, on the other 49 states. Absolutely. Again, Dr. Bob McClure, he is the president and CEO of a great organization, the James Madison Institute. JamesMadison.org, I believe, is the website, Bob? That's correct. James Madison. JamesMadison.org. I hope you check out the website. It's my go-to for any kind of state issue. That's the that's the uh, website that I go to. Uh, Dr. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide two 
tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's just one of the initiatives, and I hope you check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us Dave Bigo, as I mentioned before the break. He's uh, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. He's also the president and CEO of Executive Management Services, doing business in over 40 states with over 6,000 employees. Uh, he was assailed by uh, union officers from SEIU. Uh, things were going fine. He said, they said, we want you to sign a neutrality agreement. Dave said, well, look. If uh, you're going to unionize our shop, you're going to have to do it with secret ballot. Uh, he, Dave refused, and two and a half years later, uh, they left, <laughs> and, and they weren't unionized. And uh, it, it's a, an amazing story. I encourage you to read the book, The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Bob. I appreciate it. Always ha- happy to have you on, and look, always look forward to getting an update of what's happening on the union front. Any good scoop? Well, I think the big thing that people got to realize is that, uh, you know, uh, and, pro- and Biden, President Biden's come out and said this, he's pro-union in that, but he's working on things to uh, put the unions in, in a, a position of huge power, and the big one is with the National Labor Relations Board, um, you know, he fired uh, the attorney on there that Trump put in there, uh, Peter Robb and that, and um, even though the Re- Republicans currently have a three-to-one on the board, you know, he can hire another person. He's going to hire this gal. Um, um, her name is Wilcox, Janine Gwynnie, Gwynnie Wilcox. Um, and the unions really like her and praise her. And um, the goal, it looks like, for him to do is to um, um, have her um, approved by the uh, Senate and, and that, and then have her put in place as the um, uh, head of the National Labor Relations Board, which is going to be totally, totally pro-union, and uh, probably fire one other um, Republican person on the National Labor Relations Board and bring another Democrat, so they can completely control uh, what's going to be done and give the union more power in this country. Uh, that's not a. It's just not good. I mean, there's. Uh, you were describing some of the things that were going on under the uh, Obama administration. Things turned around under the Trump administration, and uh, right now, you know what amazes me, Dave, is that we still have so many people participating in in, in the uh, government unions, public sector unions, and uh, they don't have to. But you know, they years ago they passed laws that. Uh they would be unionized in that, but with the right to work, a lot of them could step out of it in that, and a lot of them have. The unions are down, I think, uh, of the private workforce, they're only about 6% um, of the private workforce are union people, but uh, in the government, you're, you're way up high on that, and um, it's time for those people to wake up, And uh, but here's the thing, you've got states that are um, really trying to uh, cement union powers, and uh, Illinois lawmakers want to uh, cement union powers into the state constitution in Illinois. Uh. And, and we got other states look at this. So you've got things going both ways here that are uh, giving the union some power. Yeah, well, fortunately here in Florida, we just had Dr. Bob McClure on. He's the president and CEO of the James Madison Institute. We were talking about how free we are compared to other states. And I'll just mention Illinois as a good example of uh, how... You know, they continue to make poor decisions leading to more uh, higher taxes and actually services go down. The quality of services go down. And uh, we just have such a well-run state. I'm so pleased to be living here. Yeah, they uh, they do a good job down there. And Illinois, you know, is a totally democratic state. And people got to understand this. The um, 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 Democratic Party is controlled by the unions. And uh, the Democratic Party 
is uh, just trying to control our country and take people down and turn us into a socialist communist country. And I've got a, I got a thing I want to read to you real quick. This is by Professor Joseph Olson, Olson of Hamline University School of Law in St. Paul, Minnesota. He points out some interesting facts concerning the 2020 presidential election. Uh, first of all, number of states won by Democrats, 19, by Republicans, 29. Square miles of land won by the Democrats, 580,000. Republicans, 2,427,000. Population of counties won by Democrats, 127 million. Uh, won by Democrat, uh, Republicans, 143 million. Hmm. Murder rate per 100,000 residents in counties won by Democrats, 13.2. Republicans, 2.1. So Professor Olson adds, it's inaccurate. The map of the territory re Republicans won was mostly the land owned by taxpayers, taxpaying citizens of the country. Uh, Democrats' her territory mostly encompassed those citizens living in government-owned tenants and giving off various forms of government welfare and living off various forms of government welfare. Yeah, and that's what's going on, and that's what they want to do. There's no question about that, and. Uh you know, right now, uh, uh, Biden is in Europe, maybe on his way back now to the G7 meeting, and he's coming back. But, uh, you know, he's he's got a tough road to hold right now because he's not getting a lot of support for the things he wants to do. But you know what? Those those folks are pretty sneaky. They'll figure it out. I'm, that's my concern is that uh, we'll end up with another couple of trillion dollars in debt and, uh, uh, you know, uh, trying to expand welfare and other things that are just really detrimental to our well-being. Well, yeah, but the good thing is, you know, with the big unemployment thing that's in place across the country and, you know, $300 checks people are getting, uh, um, you know, a lot of states, and I think there's 29 states now that have, um, or 26 states that uh, are going to ban that law uh, this month. Uh, Indiana it's gonna, uh, goes into effect, so the banning does, June 19th. And that's going to force these people to, to go back to work because they can't sit at home and just re receive free benefits and cash. Right. It's, isn't it strange to see that the uh, number of jobs that are available, the huge unemployment numbers, and uh, and now inflation and how uh, we're seeing uh, seeing how uh, the cost of goods is going up as a result of not being able to find truck drivers, not being able to find help uh, in the restaurants and so forth uh, it's the the dynamic the government interfering with the process of running the economy it's not good well it's not and again they want to they don't care about the free market and uh, we're having we're having in all of our companies which you know we have so many companies and uh, we're um, we're having a hard time finding people it's it's really sad it really is yeah. and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to these states that are gonna you know ban these things that uh, the federal government's put into place and, and people can't get uh, federal unemployment benefits and $300 cash checks in there from yeah. uh, the government anymore. Yeah, thank goodness for federalism. Thank goodness for uh, Governor DeSantis. Again, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I hope you'll visit the website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Uh, Bob, can I say one more thing to you? Uh, absolutely, sure. Uh, I want to talk to you about carbon dioxide. I've got a friend. He plays in a golf group we have up here called the Round Table, and um, he's not playing anymore because he's he's 85 years old now, I think, and he's got some um, physical problems. But uh, he sent me this. Actually, he responded to the um, Indianapolis Star, an article they had in there about climate change that you know we need to do all these things and uh, that the the left is wanting us to do. And uh, he sent this <laughs> he sent this response to them in a in a letter, and he says. Carbon dioxide is our friend. Together with rain and sunshine, it makes our plants grow, emitting life-giving oxygen. The slight change in our atmosphere is not due to burning fossil fuels, but due to cutting down trees, placing buildings, parking lots, and roads over our fields, in addition to removing farmland to build homes, factories, and malls. We have been removing our forests as in South America. Um, and uh, I think the things he's saying is perfectly true. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Again, Dave Vigo, thedevilatourdoorstep.com is the website. The book, The Devil at Our Doorstep, it's a great read. I hope you get a copy. Dave, always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, and have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did.
Uh, Mark Schulman will be joining us on Monday. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mystery uh, novels. Jim will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>